I would invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We are going to be in Matthew 11 today. For this Advent season, and today is the first day of Advent, Advent is a, is a word that means uh, coming, and, and we have the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus, and we are in a time frame where we await the second Advent, the second coming of Jesus. And for this Advent season, we are going to consider the reality of home. Home is emphasized so many ways during this time of year. Parents will sometimes place a call and ask their adult children, are you coming home for Christmas? Uh, if you're familiar with the old songs, you know, the old songs tell us, uh, oh, it's good to be home for the holidays. Or they promise, I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. We pay tribute at this time of year to our military service personnel who are sacrificing being home for the holiday season. There is something about home that just should be attractive. And in many cases it is. And yet on the other hand, sadly for some, home is much less, is less than idyllic. For some, they think of home and all they remember is chaos and arguing and fear and sorrow. For some people, home is a place to be away from, not a place to go to. For them, the roof over their heads was a house, but it wasn't home. I've been thinking about these conflicting realities about home. Uh, often when I think about home, I think of a poem written by Robert Frost, and it was entitled, Death of a Hired Man. And it's a poem that is a conversation between a farmer and his wife, and they had this hired man that worked for them, and then he just up and left. And now all of a sudden he's come back, and he wants just a place to stay. And they're arguing back and forth about what to do. And at one part of the, the poem, the, the, uh, one of the people says this, Home is the place that when you go there, they have to take you in. And I wrestle with that line because what that does, it, it, it makes home an obligation. But home's not an obligation. This summer, uh, I read a book this past summer. I've been doing a lot of reading in my own uh, just personal growth and trying to help people in trauma. And, and I read a book uh, entitled Beyond Desolate, Hope Versus Hate. In the Rubble of Sexual Abuse. It's written by a Wheaton College professor, Dr. Tammy Schultz, who did some, a, a lot of her work, uh, and before she was at Wheaton, she was in Winona Lake, Indiana, where we lived for 15 years. And so reading the book, I'm like thinking of places. She even mentions people I know in the book. It's pretty cool. And she also co-wrote it with Hannah Estabrook. And, and near the end of the book, as they've gone through understanding trauma and are now giving some ideas of how to guide people through healing, there was a section called Coming Home. 
Dr. Schultz talks about, she opens that section by telling about how she'd finished grading papers and then she packed up and she drove to Fort Wayne and got on a plane and flew home to Canada where there her dad met her and welcomed her home. And as she thought about that, as she thought about coming home, she thought about the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells that story of the prodigal son who told his dad, give me your inheritance, give me my inheritance now. I'm going to treat you like you're dead. And he took it off and he, he just blew it all. And he ended up feeding pigs. And, and, and it says in, in Luke chapter 17, it says, he came to his senses. And, and then he, when he came to his senses, he thought of home. And Dr. Schultz writes this, he realized he did not need to live with the pigs. He wanted to come home because he was made for home. Home was the place he belonged. You and I were made for home. Home is the place we belong. This Advent season, we are going to look at five spiritual realities in our true home, which I submit is our relationship with Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate. We're going to come home this Advent season. We're going to come home to rest. We're going to come home to hope. We're going to come home to acceptance. We're going to come home to love. And we're going to come home to peace. And I want to let you know right now, we are not going to be looking at all the traditional Christmas passages. So we're not going to look at Matthew 1. We're not going to look at Luke 2. We're going to look at passages that bring us to that spiritual reality of these ways of coming home. So today, we're in Matthew 11. Not necessarily a Christmas passage. Matthew 11, to, to understand, let me read the verses that we're going to focus on, and then I want, to give, I want to back up and give you some background. We're going to focus on just three verses today. Matthew eleven twenty eight begins, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To understand that invitation, we've got to take a step back. Matthew 11 begins, and it begins with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, at the beginning of Matthew 11, has been thrown into prison. He was thrown into prison by Herod because he called Herod out for his immoral lifestyle. And so he gets thrown into prison and he's struggling while he's in prison. You could say he's burdened while he's in prison. He's not at rest while he's in prison. And he sends word to Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one who is supposed to come or should we look for somebody else? John is weary. He's exhausted. Nothing is going according to what he thought the plan would be. And Jesus sends back these words. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. 
Jesus points John back to what he knows. He points him back to Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And he says, John, hang in there. And then Jesus then talks about how great John was. And in fact, he references a passage we looked at, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, saying, if you believe it, John is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He is Elijah to come. He is announcing the day of the Lord. Then in the next few verses, beginning uh, in near the end of uh, verse, around verse 16, Jesus starts talking about the generation that he's talking to. And he says, you're, you're so fickle as a generation. He says this, he, and by this generation, he's referring to anybody in his hearing. The religious leaders, the people that follow him out of curiosity, even the disciples that are close to him. You see, John came and he lived this eccentric lifestyle and the people said, he must have a demon. Nobody lives like that. And Jesus comes along and, and he goes to dinner parties and he, he hangs out with real people and they call him a glutton and a drunkard. They, he was a friend of the riffraff, a friend of sinners and tax collectors and everybody that was, and Jesus, he was just a real person. And he showed them signs and miracles, and, and they didn't believe him. And Jesus says in verse 20, he says, you know what? If years ago the people in Tyre and Sidon, rank pagans, would have seen the things that I've done, they would have believed. He goes back even further. He said, if the people in Sodom, that wicked city, would have seen what I did, they would have repented. And, and, and so Jesus says, here it is, John is weary because he doesn't understand. The people get tired and weary because of the, the fickleness of society and the ebb and flow of religious indecision. And finally, in verse 25, he launches into a prayer of praise. And he praises God for revealing his truth to people who, like children, fully trust him. You know, Jesus often compared faith to children because children are trusting. You know, we've got six grandkids. You know what? My grandkids trust me. I never had to earn their trust. They trust me because I'm grandpa. Now, that can be taken advantage of. I tease them a little bit, but they know. They, they trust us. Children, you know, you take a, an infant that you know and you kind of toss them in the air, they trust you. They trust you that you're not going to throw them in the air and walk away and forget about them. Jesus said, it's like children. And, and he says, I'm only doing my Father's will. And it's in all of that that I'm, I, I want you to trust me. I'm doing my Father's will that now... He gives an invitation. And his invitation is to relationship. It's an invitation to relief. It's an invitation to learn. It's an invitation to grow. It's an invitation to rest in his presence. In essence, Jesus is saying, come home. First part of this invitation reminds us that everyone is welcome. What familiar words come to me? 
What a personal invitation. Can you see it? Can you see the open hand extended? Come to me. Everyone is welcome. Come to me. Notice something. This invitation isn't, isn't specified. Come to me all. It's to those who have rejected him. Come to me. It's to those who've turned away from him. Come to me. The invitation of Jesus is always open. Jesus does not reject people. People choose to reject Jesus. Come to me all. Everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is received. Nobody's left out. Nobody's marginalized. Have you ever felt uninvited? Many years ago, Charlene and I conducted a wedding for a couple. Before the days where anybody could go online and get ordained, I would get people calling me often and saying, we want to get married in a church, would you do our wedding? I saw it as an opportunity to just show them the kindness and the grace of God in my actions. And, and so a couple came to get married, and we went through all the premarital counseling and everything, and they insisted they insisted that at the reception, Charlene and I attend. They wanted me to pray a blessing on their marriage, and they wanted me to you know, pray for the food. They insisted. So the wedding gets done. We lock up things here. We drive to the reception place, and uh, we walk in, and it's like any reception place, right? There's a table there, and there's all these little name tags, and uh, so we go up, and we look for our name. It's not there. Started looking for alternative spellings of our name. Harrington, Hoisington, Howlington. There's no L in my name. Not there. People were in the room. Some of them kind of glanced and saw us. We just eventually just kind of quietly turned and walked away. We didn't know what to do. It left me with some wedding reception PTSD. To this day, I have jitters when I walk up to that table like, uh, okay, there it is. Okay, we're in. We're in. We're good. We felt unimportant. We felt uninvited. We felt unnoticed. That is never the case with Jesus. His invitation, come to me all. His invitation is an open relationship. It's unquestionably available to everyone. But he goes on. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Not only is everyone invited, the other thing about Jesus' invitation is refreshment is available. I want to think about a scenario for a minute. Let me just start it this way. It has been a day. Have you ever had... A day. You, you, know, you get down, you go, oh, it's been a day. Maybe it was a day of back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings and appointments. You, know, you just didn't get a rest. Maybe it was a day of exams if you're a student. It was like one right after the other. Maybe it was a day when the materials were delayed, when the product wasn't in, when the boss keeps changing course. And, 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 and if you're in the trades, those days can just drive you nuts. Maybe it was a day when you're working with people and all you got were complaints and 
people just crying to you and you were worn down. Regardless of the situation, you know what it's like to have a day. At the end of the day, you trudge into your house and all you want is the comfort of the familiar. All you want is to sit down and as Charlene and I like to say, put your feet up. We don't want to think. You don't want anything else to break. You're home. And more than anything else, you just want to move on from what has been a day. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. The word weary is a word that means to be exhausted. It's a word that carries the idea of exertion and pain and stress and being, as it were, beaten down and fatigued. And don't just think of that in the physical realm. I believe that weariness carries that emotional weariness and that mental weariness and that spiritual exhaustion. I think they're all linked together. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary. And then he says, come to me who all who are weary and burdened. <laughs> That's a word that comes from the seaport. You have a, a big ship. And what do we do with that big ship? We burden it, right? We put containers on it. I mean, we were years ago in, uh, in uh, Savannah, Georgia. And our hotel was right on the, the, the seaport, right on the canal. And they, they made these big ships come by and they couldn't honk their horn or anything, they had to be really quiet. And I looked out of our window one night, we're on the third floor, and all I see are containers, shipping containers, just floating by on this great big ship. And that's the idea. Come, you're burdened, you're weighed down. Jesus says, come to me. You know what that's like. You know what it's like to be weary. You know what it's like to be weighed down? You know what it's like to be weighed down with a concern or a problem? And, Jesus, and, and it seems to me that weariness and burden just go hand in hand. Now imagine that day. You know, the day we were just talking about. And imagine coming up to your house. And before you even get there, the door opens. And maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad. For me, sometimes it was one of my children, or lately one of my grandchildren. I got one little granddaughter that as soon as we walk in, she goes, hug attack! And she runs and she gives me a big hug. Let me tell you something, that'll fix a day. And imagine that person coming up to you, that person that you love, and giving you a great big stress hug, and telling you how much you're loved, and saying to you, welcome home. Do you feel it? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will refresh you. I will give you rest. Come home. Many years ago, I'm sitting at my desk. This is when we were in Indiana. Didn't have caller ID back then. Phone rings. I pick it up. I begin to talk. I realize I'm talking on an intercontinental call talking to a young person. They were overseas serving 
in a short-term capacity, kind of figuring out if missions was what they were going to do. Uh, we had had some correspondence back and forth, and uh, we knew that things were hard for them. They'd been going through some difficulties, largely difficulties brought on by their immediate supervisor. They had been made to feel like a failure. They had been put in untenable, even dangerous positions. And they had no support from their supervisor. It's kind of like sink or swim type of idea. And they were in a situation, they had a decision to make. You see, they had been invited, this person was quite musical, they had been invited to go to a, an event, kind of a retreat, where they got to be a part of the music. But the supervisor disagreed with this in, in some very little detailed things and basically told our young friend, if you go to that event, you might as well go with all your bags packed because you're done here. And they were struggling. Do I go to the event? Do I stay? My assignment isn't complete. What do I do? They didn't want to fail. But they were so exhausted spiritually and mentally and emotionally and even physically. They didn't know what to do. And I, I listened. And I listened to them. And I gave them all the space they needed to, to just get it out. And when it was my turn to talk... I remember saying these words, and, and I'm going to tell you now, these were words I believe put into my mouth by the Holy Spirit. I said to my friend, come home. It's okay to come home and rest. Come home to a place where we love you, and we will celebrate you, and we will welcome you. Go to the retreat then come home. My friend wept. They went to the retreat. They met their future spouse at the retreat. And they came home. And we had the privilege of doing their wedding. Jesus says to people who are weary and burdened by oppression, by inconsistent religious rules, weary and burdened by a, a government of Rome that doesn't care about them but only cares about what it can get for them, people who were afraid and frustrated, he says, come to me, come home, and I will give you rest. Rest is a word that means to pause. Rest is a word that means to be rejuvenated. Rest is a word that means to stop working. One could say, Come home and be refreshed. I want you to remember this context, though. We're talking about relationship, not a place. Jesus is the one who gives the rest. Some of us need to rest this morning. Some of us need to rest from trying to make our world work and manipulating people and events and everything. It's wearing us out. Some of us need to rest from trying to impress God. We're trying to just be so good. And God, don't you see how good I am? And God says, please just rest in my forgiveness. Some of us need to rest from worry. We're worried about tomorrow, worried about next week. We're worried about the stock market. We're worried about everything. We need to rest 
and simply rest in the reality that God is already in tomorrow. Jesus invites us all to come home and rest. But he doesn't stop there. Because see, rest isn't forever. Rest isn't for all times. Rest refreshes us so that we can be revitalized. And revitalization is a reality. Jesus now uses words in his invitation that sound very strange to our ears. He call, but what he's calling his hearers to is a path of growth. What he's calling his hearers to is a path of development. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest from your souls. The invitation to take his yoke upon us is an invitation, as it were, to enroll in the school of Jesus. It's an invitation to follow him. It's an invitation to learn from him. So the one who gives us rest for our souls then tells us that there is a purpose to that rest. And the purpose to that rest is to revitalize us so that we can move forward. Think about what you've learned from Jesus and learned about Jesus in 2022. What are you learning? My, my mentor used to always say this. Everybody can tell you about a time they prayed or decided to believe in Christ. He says, my question is, since you've believed in Jesus, how is he changing? You see, you can't come into relationship with Christ and, and just stay the way you were. You grow. You change. I'm learning more and more how to listen to Jesus, how to truly discern the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. I already told you the story about the tree. We won't re repeat it, but just waking up in the morning and, and that, that reminder, Scott, file the insurance claim. What? Come on. And I, yeah, I'm learning not to argue with God because I never win. Uh, I, I'm learning what it means to trust Jesus and not fret about things that are outside of my control. I'm learning to celebrate the good and godly wise voices that speak into your lives. Doesn't always have to be me. I would encourage you to not wait until December 31st to sit back and think about, what have I learned about God this year? Start now. Grab a journal, grab a piece of paper, do a Google Docs, whatever works for you, and start just reflecting, what am I learning about Jesus? Jesus says, I'm different. He says, take my yoke upon you, enroll in my school, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That was a stark contrast to the religious leaders of the day. The religious leaders of the day were very arrogant. They had the inside track. They had the knowledge. They knew, and, and, and you needed to depend on them. You know, the, it's, it's believed by some that when the religious leaders walked by, people stood back and kind of went, whoa. You know, and, and Jesus said, that's not me. He said, I'm humble. He said, I'm, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. You think about it. People got all in awe of the religious leaders, but when God walked by in the flesh, they called him a, a drunkard and a glutton. 
was God that visited our planet on that day that we celebrate, we celebrate Christmas. That was God in the flesh. John says in the beginning was the Word, John 1.1. And then in verse 14 he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The, the active agent of creation, according to Paul in Colossians 1, Excuse me. The active agent of creation entered our world. And he didn't come saying, look at me. He came along as just another person, a regular person. We call him a carpenter. The actual term literally means laborer. Maybe even a stonemason. You were in, you know, kind of dispel yourself with the notion that, that Jesus worked with saws and sandpapers and planes and things like that. This was an area that had to import wood. So most likely he was like a stonemason. He was a builder. He was a tradesman. He was just a regular guy. A working class guy. Blue collar. He understood he reminds us that he was gentle and humble in heart. And you trace the ministry of Jesus. John says he was full of grace and truth. You trace the ministry of Jesus and you find gentleness and humble of heart. He let the children come and hang out with him. Children who were considered worthless in society. Jesus said, let them come to me. I can just see him sitting there and kids crawling all over him and laughing and enjoying themselves. He was kind to a prostitute. He was gentle with a woman who had bled for 12 years. When one of his closest friends denied that he knew him in the moment where he needed him most, Jesus forgave him and invited him back into relationship. He wept over Jerusalem. He's dying on the cross. He's in agony. He's in physical and spiritual agony. And he looks down and he makes sure that his mom is taken care of as he knows he's leaving. That's gentle and humble in heart. You want to learn from someone who's not about themselves. The late Eugene Peterson, and we're going to reference his work the message. He, he's known most for that, but he studied at a seminary in New York City, and one of his professors was one of the leading Hebrew scholars of the day. And he said one day they walked into class, and this professor said, you know what, I want to share with you something. And he started drawing the, writing some Hebrew words on the on the board about things that he had learned and, and this construct that he had learned and how that it, it really opened his eyes to some other things. It was just all this deep Hebrew. And finally he got all done. He had this board full of stuff. And one of the students raised their hand and said, Professor, I think you've misparsed that verb over there. And I think that changes everything. And he said the professor went and, and he looked at the board and he went, yeah, you're right. Thanks for bringing that up. Forget whatever I said. And he erased the board. And he said, how humble was that? Because I've known professors, you may have known professors that would say, how dare you question me? But that's, and he said, I wanted to learn from someone that was that humble that could say, oh, I did, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. And we moved on. 
You see, when you and I learn from Jesus, we are revitalized in the deepest part of who we are. And he reiterates that promise of rest, and then he deepens it. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The word translated soul is the word that we use and put it with the word study, and we get the word psychology from it. Psychology is the study of the soul. God says, do you want rest? Come to Jesus. And you're going to be find rest for your soul so that you can learn in the school of Jesus and you can grow and you can be revitalized and you can be refreshed. True rest is body, soul, and spirit. And this is what Jesus offers. This is what's available when we come home to rest in the presence of Jesus. It's as simple as opening a gift. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them gave, the, to them gave he, i got to quote it in King James, sorry. To them gave he the power, the authority to become children of God. In the next few weeks, There's a possibility you'll be gathered around a bunch of Christmas trees. And there's the possibility that there's going to be a gift all wrapped up, real pretty. And someone's going to say, here, this is for you. You have a choice at that moment. You can reach out and receive the gift and open it and enjoy what's inside. Or you could say, yeah, I don't need it. I don't. I know, I know you spent good I don't need it. You can take it back. That's what the world did to Jesus. He came into his own. His own received him not. But as many as received him, as many as took the gift and opened it and found the joy and the peace and the love and the forgiveness inside, those become children of God. Jesus ends with this, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen to these verses rendered in the message that was put together by the late Eugene Peterson. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I particularly love that line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You see, when we are at home with Jesus, we can learn the unforced rhythms of grace. No hurry, no worry, one day at a time. Will we have trials? Oh, yeah, yeah, we will. But we'll be with someone who says, walk with me through the trial. Are we going to face stress? There's always going to be stress. As long as we live on this life, there'll be stress. Jesus said, 
In this world you will have tribulation, or literally translated stress, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus knows about our stress. He says, walk with me. I'll walk with you through it. Because when we come home to Jesus, and we come home to the rest that he gives, there's a strength that comes from God's grace in our lives that gives us just enough to take the next step. Feel the freedom in that statement, the unforced rhythms of grace. Feel the ability to breathe again. Feel the gentleness. That is rest for your soul. Today, Jesus calls you and me to come home to him and rest. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the rest we have in in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that each of us, each of us here this morning will be aware of that rest. I pray, Lord, that we are experiencing that rest in our own lives. And I ask God that if we're not, that today, that today would be the day that we say, okay, Lord, I come home to you. I receive you. I invite you into my life to be my forgiver and my leader. And that we would discover the rest that's available. In Jesus' name, amen.